Hello and welcome to the African Tech Roundup, episode 74 for the week ending Monday, September 12th, 2016. This is where we round up the week's most important tech, digital and innovation news from across the African continent. My name is Andy Lemasugu, really happy to have you join me. In today's show, I'll be sharing a conversation I had with Ernesto Sprout, a clever Dutchman who's founded a business called Tunga, an online market network that provides instant access to talented African coders. Now, with Mark Zuckerberg's recent visit to Kenya and Nigeria putting the continent's coding talent in the spotlight, and with ongoing initiatives like We Think Code and companies like Andela throwing their backs into grooming and deploying the continent's top coders, it's no wonder that Ernesto and his partners have decided to come to Africa to shop for talent, to connect to international clients. Now, be sure to listen in to hear all about Tunga's story. That's all coming up later, but we'll have to get into this week's news headlines first, which includes CECOM establishing yet another point of presence in Europe, the first phase of Africa's largest solar power project in Morocco set to be completed in a few weeks, and the growing fortunes of China's most valuable tech company set to boost Nasper's in their season of uncertainty. In the meantime, though, a special welcome to you if you're joining me for the first time. You can always catch up on all our past episodes whenever you like by clicking through to africantechroundup.com. You can also find us on Twitter at African Roundup, as well as on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup. Also, if you'd like to contribute to the show, you can write us an email or send us an audio note via hello at africantechroundup.com. Now, this episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by our sister podcast, African Tech Conversations. Now, the series features relaxed, in-depth chats that I've had with leading entrepreneurs, innovators, and executives who are intimately involved in Africa's tech scene. Now, featured in the latest installment of the African Tech Conversations podcast is Harry Tomi Davies, who is widely considered the godfather of Africa's angel investment scene. He's also the founding president of the African Business Angels Network, ABAN. Now, the conversation I had with him is truly podcast gold. To check it out, simply head to our SoundCloud account at soundcloud.com forward slash African Tech Roundup. And then once you're there, click on the African Tech Conversations playlist. Now it's time to get into the week's headlines. This week saw the surfacing of unsubstantiated reports of Facebook's secret plans to buy M-Pesa. Now, I wouldn't go as far as saying that it's improbable that Mark Zuckerberg would love to bag Kenya's well-loved fintech innovation. In fact, for me, it would actually settle the question of what really motivated his African safari last week. But it's all smoke and no fire at this point. So we'll just walk right past that story until there's something more substantial to report. A deal that did, however, go down this past week is the finalization of Dell's acquisition of EMC, which at $67 billion is now the biggest tech merger slash acquisition of all time. The deal will see Michael Dell remain at the helm of the newly formed Dell EMC company, and uh, he's set to lead a juggernaut which now stands not only to compete meaningfully in server storage, virtualization, and PCs, but also in the software arena in areas like digital transformation, hybrid cloud, mobile, and security. However, only days after the deal was finalized, whispers of Dell's plans to cut between 2,000 and 3,000 jobs have started to do the rounds. Unnamed sources say that the job cuts are slated for later this year and will be mostly in the U.S. and in areas such as supply chain and general and administrative positions, as well as some marketing jobs, which kind of makes sense when you think in terms of merger. There's bound to be some redundancy. Uh, and when you consider that the new organization now has roughly 140,000 employees, one has to expect 
that um, some job cuts are inevitable. And also, I mean, Michael Dell and his executives will no doubt be under immense pressure to deliver cost savings that validate their decision to merge in the first place. Some reports have suggested that he's chasing a cost saving of something like $1.7 billion. But by the sounds of it, though, Dell and EMC employees here on the continent are probably safe, at least in the short term. Now we go 33 kilometers west of London for our next story to the town of Slough, where the submarine cable operator Seacom has established its latest point of presence in Europe. The town of Slough hosts some of the UK's largest co-location data centers that service London's financial services sector, along with other important commercial clients. Now, the town is also a crucial hub for traffic between London and other global financial centers around the world. And CECOM says that this new POP will be especially useful for African financial services institutions that trade in equities because they will now have a direct route to one of the UK's most important financial interconnection points. And what they can expect is better performance and lower latency. Now, this latest development is in line with the company's aim to offer the widest range of tier one partner networks in Europe and guarantee high levels of quality and support to its customers by controlling their own infrastructure from global and African IP transit networks to remote peering points in Europe. At present, they're the only African network to have their own POPs in Europe's five busiest centers for internet traffic, namely Stockholm, Amsterdam, London, Frankfurt, and Marseille. So big up to them. Keeping it international, we go to China next, where Tencent overtook Alibaba to become China's most valuable tech company last week. This after shares in the company jumped by 6% following the publication of strong quarterly results. Now, Tencent is probably most famous outside of China for being the firm behind the WeChat messaging app, which is said to have between 5 and 6 million users on the continent. But they also run a host of super profitable online enterprises. That's everything from social media platforms to web portals, e-commerce platforms to multiplayer online games that are pretty much Chinese staples at this point. Now, profits at the company rose by 47% to approximately one6 billion dollars in the three months to june 2016 this is truly impressive stuff but then there's the question of why we on the african continent should even care well there's the small matter of africa's biggest tech company nasper's owning 34 percent of the cash cow that is 10 cent now nasper's stake in 10 cent is no doubt the company's saving grace at the moment uh because as we established two episodes ago nasper's is currently feeling the heat in terms of running its core businesses on the continent so you best believe that Nasper's will continue to cling to their stake in Tencent rather tightly and hope that the good times at Tencent last long enough to give them a chance to figure out how to steer their core businesses back to profitability. To Egypt now, where more mobile telecoms operators are expected to bid for 4G mobile licenses in the wake of the state-owned landline monopoly Telecom Egypt acquiring the first one at a cost of $797 million late last month. Now, this saw them join the country's incumbent mobile telcos, Vodafone Egypt, Etisalat, and Orange Egypt. Now, with three more licenses up for grabs, it would seem that the Egyptian government has technically made it possible for all three incumbent mobile telcos to participate in the new opportunity. But um, they've definitely made an emphatic statement by getting in the ring first. The government no doubt intends to participate more actively in the country's mobile future. Now, Vodafone, Orange and Itasalat might seem to be playing it cool at the moment, but I reckon they do so at their own peril, given how both China Telecom Corp and the Saudi Telecom Company have both expressed interest in acquiring the 4G mobile licenses on offer by the Egyptian government. We'll be keeping a close eye on how that goes down. 
But staying with North African news, the first phase of Africa's largest and indeed most ambitious solar power plant, the Nua Awzazate Solar Complex in Morocco, is sent to be completed in just weeks. Now, the first phase is expected to generate up to 160 megawatts. And when the project is complete and functioning at full capacity come 2020, it will generate upwards of 500 megawatts, enough to even export surplus power to Europe. Now, it's said that the complete plant will take up space equal to the size of Morocco's capital city, Rabat. Now, Morocco is definitely super keen to reduce its current reliance on imported fossil fuels, which currently make up 97-odd percent of the country's energy consumption. It's interesting to note that the technology at play at this plant is not the photovoltaic paneling commonly used around the world, but rather something called concentrated solar power, which works by focusing the sun's energy using mirrors to heat a fluid and then create steam, which then drives generators. There's no doubt other sunny states around the continent will be watching to see how well this project goes down in the hopes of emulating its success. Uh, But having backed Morocco's solar venture, the African Development Bank is said to be standing by to roll out similar projects in Ethiopia, Mali and Chaz. Look out. To France now, where the French startup AfriMarket has raised 10 million euro for the express purpose of launching its e-commerce platform in six Francophone African countries. Now, having launched in Cote d'Ivoire just over a year ago, the platform plans deployments to four other African countries, starting with Senegal in October, followed by Cameroon, Benin, and Togo, where AfriMarket already operates in the international money remittance space. Now, they also plan to launch in Mali and Burkina Faso in 2017. The company has come out saying, though, that they want to dominate e-commerce in French-speaking West Africa. Now, given the mostly underwhelming growth in e-commerce across the continent, not least in English-speaking West Africa, one wonders how every market will fare and whether the people of Francophone Africa might end up leading the way in adopting e-commerce more readily than the rest of us. Nevertheless, this brings to 13 million euro, the total venture capital raised by AfriMarket since its inception. Uh, their impressive list of investors include the Global Innovation Fund and the private sector arm of the French development agency, Proparco, as well as a handful of individual investors, such as the co-founder of Price Minister, Olivier Mathiot, who has been offered a seat on AfriMarket's board. Now, a week after SpaceX took a massive L because of the disastrous explosion of their Amos 6 rocket before it even left the ground, NASA has celebrated a win by successfully launching the OSIRIS-REx. Now, the spaceship is destined for the asteroid Bennu, and its mission is to return with mineral samples that could help scientists determine how plausible it might be to mine the platinum-rich space rock in outer space or indeed try and pull it towards planet Earth. Now, an article by Lindsay Chutal for Quartz Africa does a great job of imagining how game-changing it might prove to be for the continent's platinum industry, which is currently led by South Africa and Zimbabwe. If wealthy countries like Luxembourg and companies like Deep Space Industries figure out a way to mine asteroids like Bennu. Now, for the record, I wouldn't put my money on this happening in my lifetime, but... I'll be more than happy if someone made me eat my words. Better yet, I'd be thrilled if Africa got to that milestone first. Wouldn't that be a thing? But I guess the continent needs to at least have one viable space program properly up and running first. Well, be that as it may, it's exciting times we're living in though, right? I mean, wow. Um, Who knew like the Armageddon movie might actually become a thing? Go from sci-fi to real life. Anyway, that's the news headlines for this week. Now, as promised... I'm about to play you a conversation I had with a man named Ernesto Sprout. Now, he's the founder of Tunga.io, the online market network that provides international clients access to African coding talents. Now, 
He's also the chief mentor for Telegraph Media Group's Digital X Accelerator program in Amsterdam. And in the conversation you're about to hear, I asked Ernesto what led he and his partners to come searching for coding talent right here on the continent. And I got him to share what he thinks are some of the most important things African coders who aspire to having an international career ought to know. Take a listen. Ernesto Sprout, thank you so much for being on the African Tech Roundup. Welcome. Happy to be here. Now, Ernesto, you wear several hats. Um, the, the most interesting one for me at this point would be that of founder of Tunga, which is a work intermediary platform that connects tech businesses to African coders. But you're also something called a chief mentor at uh, one of uh, Holland's largest media companies, TMG. Tell me about how the one role led uh, to to you founding uh, Tunga? Well, actually, I was first founder of Tunga and then I came into that role at TMG. And uh, they both uh, stem from the same source because before this, I had a startup company called Mobar and we, we were part of the Yes Delft, which is a large tech incubator here in the Netherlands. And uh, what I did there is uh, apart from working with corporates, I did a lot of mentoring of other startups. So kind of working on my own startup and helping other startups went hand in hand. Mobar didn't quite make it as a startup. Uh, but uh, as an entrepreneur there, I experienced the problem finding good software developers at the moment that I needed them. So that's when I decided to start Tunga. And slightly later, but more or less at the same time, uh, one of my uh, corporate pilot partners uh, heard that I was stopping with Mover and they invited me to come over to TMG and uh, work with the internal startups uh, slash digital companies that they have there in their portfolio. Oh, I see. So they have uh, an internal sort of incubation slash acceleration program at the company. Yes. And you you share all your knowledge and experience with them. Yes. I guide basically the companies through a 100-day program, uh, try to provide them with all the necessary resources that they need, give them feedback where necessary, and um, yeah, also work with the entrepreneurs more on a personal level. And does that put you under pressure to make sure your startup works? <laughs> as far as I need that pressure, <laughs> no, it doesn't really. No, it's it's separate uh, tracks that I'm doing it. Uh, I'm always trying. I always feel the pressure, um, let's say, from within uh, because, uh, you know, I, in the core, I'm always have been an entrepreneur, always will be. So don't ne no, don't need that outside motivation. Well, yeah, certainly uh, from, uh, you know, from doing some research, I, I, I found out that you actually started out in hospitality management. That's true. Yeah. So, so what, was, what was the quick, what was the bridge between uh, what you went to university to study and what I imagine you must have had a passion for um, and you ending up in, in tech and innovation? What was the bridge for you? Well, you know, looking back, it's always logical, but it's not that I took the decisions uh, in my career uh, from a very rational point of view. Uh, I chose for hospitality management because I had a, I was very young and I had a gut feeling that I liked this world where it was all about making other people happy. And in the end, um, that never went away, but the form in which I want to do it became very different because um, I'm always interested to go into new unexplored paths 
uh, and that is not something that is let's say common for a regular hospitality professional but it is common for somebody interested in innovation and new business so after the hospitality management uh, bachelor i did a masters in business and then i ended up in uh, kazakhstan of all places hmm. East, uh, uh, where is that eastern europe or, it's uh, uh, asia it's uh, central asia former soviet central union asia. yeah and uh, one year of kazakhstan and then six six years of moscow where i built my own consultancy uh, helping dutch companies enter the markets of the former soviet union uh, so this was really let's say um, in a time that uh, russian market was uh, developing very quickly and the dutch companies uh, needed a bridgehead there and i was forming that bridgehead it was very dynamic period i enjoyed it really really much and it also demanded a lot in terms of being able to improvise and to operate in an uncertain environment which is my uh, which is basically my hobby and my profession <laughs> that's interesting now i'll i'll have some more questions about um your your experiences uh, around around all those things, because that sounds fascinating. But um, let's talk about Tunga a little bit. I mean, it's no secret that, that the, Chan, the, the Chan Zuckerberg Foundation have um, uh, put a lot of hope and indeed a lot of money in a, a Nigerian startup called Andela, which um, in my mind uh, shares some similarities with your, with your business, Tunga. Tell me a little bit about what your hopes for, for Tunga are, what your aspirations are, and what you make of the, the trend towards, um, uh, to, towards uh, I suppose it's e-learning, but also harnessing uh, the, the, the skills of, of coders on the continent, in, in specific to Africa. Okay. So, first of all, I... I... About Andela, I think it's a great initiative and we have been in contact with them and we definitely um, play into the same trend and have similar missions, if you will. Uh, but our approach with Tunga is very different. So I rather, from a market pers perspective, I rather see it as complementary than as competitive. Right. Um, Tunga... So perhaps perhaps for for the benefit of our listeners who, who might not be familiar with either business, please give me a sense of what it is Tunga does and yeah. how you go about doing it and perhaps how, how different it is to what Andela does. Okay, so uh, to understand Tunga, I'll, I'll go back to when I had my previous company, which was also a software-based company. And you have to imagine that in, uh, in the Netherlands and in Europe where, where we are based, there is, according to the EU, there's a shortage of around 1 million ICT workers, right? So for uh, a small company to have... Mm, let's say flexible access to a software development uh, at affordable prices it's rather impossible it was always a hassle to work with freelancers for us not that we in the end we couldn't find them but we could never mobilize them on the moment that we needed them and they are generally very expensive so my first right. goal was to solve that um, and the way I wanted to solve that was to circumvent all the problems that we experience with traditional freelancer marketplaces, uh, which are mostly one-off transactions. Every time you begin anew to search for uh, talent that you need. The idea behind Tunga was to 
enable companies to find good developers and get connected to them before the moment they actually need them so that you can build like a social network uh, and and when your network is robust enough and you need somebody then the chance that somebody is available at the moment that you actually need them um, is uh, much bigger that was the idea and me having a background in uh, development aid and uh, working uh, in Africa uh, because after my Russian period I, I was with an NGO uh, for two and a half years um, I thought that it would be would be really great if we could find those developers in Africa um, and why Africa as opposed to I don't know there are certain places we 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 typically think about when we think of uh, uh, a surplus yeah. <laughs> supply of, of, of coding talent. I yeah. think of places like Russia, where you yeah. spend a lot of time in uh, Ukraine and certainly places like China. What, what, would, what would make Africa specifically uh, 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 an, an area or a region you'd, you'd concentrate on specifically? Okay, well, first of all, it was not knowledge-based. <laughs> it was uh, intention-based. And I always... I'm a shared value adept, so I always try to combine, let's say, what I call a business sense with a social impact, if you will. Right. Um, and Social capitalism. Yeah, so you could call it like that. So I've been involved in, uh, after my Russian period, in many social enterprises in the Netherlands. So it's just a second nature to think about, okay, if I'm going to do something... I want to try to do it with, it always has to make business sense, but I want to try to do it with as much societal value as possible. Right. So that's when I had a hunch, okay, it would be great if we could find those developers in Africa. But at that moment, I didn't have a clue whether there was a big enough community of developers at all in Africa. And mm. I just went uh, doing some research and I was positively surprised about developments. I found out that Africa in many fields kind of uh, is ahead in terms of innovation because you're just skipping generations of technology that, that the yeah, West has been yeah. using. And also... True, true innovation as true, opposed to innovation for the sake of, what, catch, catching Pokemon. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, absolutely <laughs> true. And um, uh, I, I came in contact with a, a Dutch design studio called Butterfly Works, and they had been involved in... Uh, an organization called the BITS Academy, which is a curriculum for a digital design um, and which had been rolled out through several uh, IT schools, if you will, throughout Africa under the BITS label. So you have the oldest one is Nairo BITS in Kenya. Uh, but I think that there were at that time seven schools in six countries in East Africa preliminary, uh, uh, predominantly. And they had an alumni community of around six 7,000 alumni, not all software developers, but uh, let's say a, a substantial part of that, software developers. So that kind of answered my question uh, of whether there are enough developers on the continent. Yes, there definitely are. Um, and for them, it was really interesting because since they were involved in education, okay, if you educate people, it's also nice if you can provide them with well-paying work after that. And that's when we decided to team up. Uh, so Tunga is basically a joint venture between myself and the Butterfly Works um, and try to see if we can uh, can make it work. Um, 
and that started like something like a year ago and the first thing that we'd want to try to validate is okay can we get enough good uh, developers out of the market um, can they perform let's say on the level that our clients that we could find here uh, require and we did some pilot and how did you go about verifying that okay i just sent a guy to kampala <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, of course we leveraged the, the network the bits academy network that we had but we right. also went a little bit outside of that um, and my colleague Bart, he was there for like half a year, the second half of uh, 2015, and uh, was very successful in finding uh, finding good developers, uh, coordinating pilots with clients, uh, which went all very well. So that was um, a reason for us to be able to get uh, funding from several f uh, philanthropic. Uh, foundations here in the Netherlands uh, and we started building uh, the platform in uh, December January and since then we have run three iterations on the platform so we just released uh, the third one which is basically a beta version but which works quite well I might say and in the meanwhile have been steadily uh, building uh, the business with clients so uh, that's where we came from. So build, building the pipeline to to basically yeah. channel the, the the skills that you you've tapped yeah. that that you've found. Yeah. And so from the sounds of it, um, I'm already seeing some some differences, in, and I I keep bringing up Handela just because it's a high profile uh, a high profile example yeah. in, a, in in your space. Um, but in, in to my mind, Andela seems to be in part or a, a big component of their process involves the you know. Um, an induction process that prepares coders, hopefully, in their case, the you know a highly screened, uh, super talented kids mostly, um, who by the end of two years are, are are prepared to sort of deliver at a certain level. You're looking for people who are ready now, from what I can tell. Yes, in principle, we are looking for people who have already had uh, the uh, part of the education and who have uh, some uh, practical experience. Um, I think another big difference is that uh, Andela is really aiming for a high end, the top end, if you will, Yes. Uh, and keeping a lot of factors under their own control. So uh, both the screening and the, uh, let's say the grooming and the, manage the managing of the process. Uh, our longer term goal is to have a self-organizing platform. Uh, of course, at this moment, that's not realistic. So do we do a lot of onboarding, both of coders and of clients. Um, but I can imagine an environment that might, might be similar, correct me if I'm wrong, that might be similar to how a, you know, a platform like Fiverr works, where yeah. um, you rely on the on uh, on the community within Fiverr to determine yes. who deserves a five a five star rating, and yes, and and basically the best talent will gravitate to the most discerning clients organically, that kind of thing. Yes, that's true. Uh, so uh, of course you need uh, flying hours into the platform to be able to do that. So that's what yeah. we're trying to build. We do have. 
let's say, uh, admission standards. Um, for people like a secret password or something. No, no, no standards <laughs> like uh, you know. No, I know I'm being silly. No. <laughs> but you know, if you compare, let's say, uh, Fiverr and and Della, they're both at two ends of the spectrum, right? So you have one yes. top end, yes, uh, which is more catering for large, large corporations with big budgets, and right. the other one is low bottom end, which are mostly one-off transactions uh, with very low budgets, etc. We more are aiming for, uh, let's say, the middle market. Um, right. So, um, th th which leads to my next question. What, what's your business development cycle like in as far as finding the clients who, who would, would, would then um, tap the talent you've, you've sourced on your platform? At this moment, it's uh, mainly uh, direct sales. Okay. Uh, we are working with, let's say, medium-sized companies mostly uh, who have a significant budget for software development, uh, often have some experience with software outsourcing, uh, and who are interested in a flexible layer around their core team um, and want to build longer-term relationships uh, with freelancers that are uh, available flexibly. Right. And so the code is listening to our conversation right now. Um, who might be interested in signing up with you guys? What's the process around that? The process is, well, in in, uh, in theory, you can go to the platform, create an account and post, uh, start uh, making connections with developers and start posting tasks. In mm -hmm. practice, uh, we see a lot of, people uh, just approaching us, sending us an email. Then we get into okay. contact. Uh, we try to understand their needs and we try to onboard them, help them as much as possible with onboarding them, get the right coders for them, uh, set, uh, help them setting out their first tasks, etc. So it's And so also in, in recent weeks, uh, Nasperis, Africa's largest tech firm, uh, sunk a significant amount of money into Code Academy. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you make of this trend towards um, the e-learning the, the e trend online? Is it helpful in, in, um, in creating the pipeline of talent that you're hoping to get onto your platform? No, it's definitely uh, helpful. And of course, this is all a result of the global shortage of uh, good software developers, right? So yeah. everybody's apparently, I mean, I have to say, I only found this out after I got the ID for Tunga, but apparently it's a big thing. How can we uh, untap uh, this potential? Now, how can we tap this potential, this untapped potential that there is on the African continent? Uh, I think that uh, everything, all those initiatives are helpful, yeah? even Andela as well. Yeah? So you see if you have 30,000 ap applications to Andela and they only hire 75 or 150, then that tells me that there is uh, below that segment a huge opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. As for Code Academy, I can say my experiences is that there are already a lot of good people who can write good code in Africa. That's absolutely not the bottleneck from our perspective. From our, okay. from our perspective, the bottleneck is what we, what we call soft skills, right? So uh, if I have somebody from, let's say, Kampala, 
who has never been outside of Uganda, who has never worked for uh, Western clients, how is this person going to learn um, to make a client happy who is from a different culture, who has very specific demands in terms of how they want to run projects, how, how they want to run processes, right? Uh, so the challenge is much more in, uh, let's say, uh, bridging cultures into bridging communication differences uh, and approaches to project management. Right. Now, I mean, you know, leaning, you know, going back to, you know, your your past experience and some of the, the things you shared about that, you know, working in Russia and other places in the world, what would you say... Um, you've had to leverage the most in terms of your training, perhaps your exposure and experience, having worked uh, in different parts of the world. Yeah. What have you had to leverage? Or what has been the most useful thing you've leveraged in, in, in growing Tunga? Well, Is it perhaps your network? I think that, um, you know, I love this question because I've, I've thought about it uh, myself. And, you know, when I went to Russia, I was a young guy, right? It was my first job. So I, I basically, I didn't know anything. And um, at one point, I was uh, helping Dutch companies doing mergers or acquisitions in Russia. And then I had to receive the big guys, right? Uh, high people, important people. And it was only seeing them in action in negotiations that I realized that I had built up a valuable skill. And that was to be able to understand uh, do two different, really distinct cultures. Um, because a lot of people, maybe especially from the West, but I don't know, they are even maybe even arrogant, if you will. Uh, but certainly they do not always understand what's happening at the other side of the table, right? Mm. So mm. having learned this early on in my career, this is also how I approach uh, uh, this type of process that we're doing now with Tunga. So for me, it's very much about creating common ground, also using technology and using the platform to uh, bridge, to help bridge the culture and the differences in how they prefer to communicate, as opposed to taking a best practice from let's say, the West and trying to impose it on uh, people who have a totally different background or the other way around, right? Yeah. Uh, so um, I think that's the be, being able to understand and, and value even uh, cultural differences and how to bridge them. That would be the quality that I, I apply is most valuable to me in this project. And what advice would you give to coders listening to this uh, to this interview uh, around perhaps managing their expectations? Uh, speak, speak to a coder who aspires to having an international career, who sees themselves as a citizen of the world, yeah. who who looks forward to using platforms like Tunga and others to to grow their career and and do work for clients anywhere in the world. What have you? What would you say is the most important piece of advice you could give to someone like that sitting somewhere like say, uh, you mentioned Kampala, Uganda, yeah. or Kigali in Rwanda or you yeah. know even Johannesburg South Africa what would you say to someone who perhaps hasn't had the experience no. you've had in in uh in in traveling the world and experiencing all these cultures what would you say uh is most important for them to know I would say hook up with other people in your own environment who have this experience 
right? So organize meetups or visit meetups where you can meet those type of people. Um, because these people, they are the ones who can understand you and the client. And this is, in the end, this is about being able to understand the client. And for that you mean you need to uh, suck up all the experience that you can get. And the most low threshold is to find people in your own environment who have that experience, right? Right. So for me, this is all about, um, let's say, learning. Now we come back to my hospitality background. So professionally, I never did anything with it. But if you learn any something on a uh, hotel school, it is to be totally focused on the needs of your customer. Right. And uh, in the end, it doesn't mean that you, let's say, have to... Um, how do you say it? You have to always to keep your own interests in mind and keep your self-respect, uh, of course, in place, right? So don't be a doormat. Don't, be a, don't not... be a doormat, right? But if you understand the needs of the customer, then you can uh, position yourself optimally to get out of a relationship in a way that's most beneficial to you, right? So. Right, right, absolutely. Well, listen, how, how can people get in touch with you? You, you mentioned that um, often people prefer to drop an email or give you a shout. How, how's the best way for people interested in, um, in plugging into Tunga and what you guys are doing to get a hold of you? Okay, so, well, first off, check the website. It's tunga.io, so T-U-N-G-A dot I-O. There you have contact form uh, and everything. You can send me an email, which is ernesto at tunga.io, ernesto at tunga.io. Uh, and and you, you can ask me any question you like, and uh, we'll get back to you uh, very quickly. So, uh, And that's, that's a way to start. Absolutely. And I know you have a very busy speaking schedule. Uh, you certainly believe in the advice you just shared uh, in, 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 in keeping... Not tabs. I wouldn't say tabs on on the various ecosystems you interact with, but certainly interaction, lines of interaction quite open. Well, thank you so much for speaking to me, Ernesto. Really appreciate your time. It was really a pleasure, and I hope to stay in touch, Andile. A big thank you to Ernesto Sprout for joining me on the show and sharing his insights with me. But once again, this episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by our sister podcast, African Tech Conversations, a series that features relaxed, in-depth chats that I've had with leading entrepreneurs, innovators, and executives who are intimately involved in Africa's tech scene. Now, to check it out, simply head to our SoundCloud account at soundcloud.com forward slash African Tech Roundup and click on the African Tech Conversations playlist. And so, folks, the show will be back again next week, Monday, on africantechroundup.com, 9 a.m. Central African time. But before I sign off today, I'd like all our listeners in Tanzania to know that our thoughts and prayers are with you as you come to terms with the loss of life caused by the earthquake that struck last week. Courage, my brothers. Courage, my sisters. We're with you. Well, until next time then, my name's Andile Masugu. Do take care, Africa.